0: Is Darwinian evolution the fact you've been told it is? Or is there reason to doubt Darwin? Many discoveries made over the last half century call into question whether life as we know it could possibly be the result of random chance. One scientist with a PhD in molecular and cellular biology thinks otherwise. Jonathan Wells stated the following in an interview with Lee Strobel. The evidence for Darwinism is not only grossly inadequate, it's systematically distorted. I'm convinced that sometime in the not too distant future, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 years from now, people will look back in amazement and say, how could anyone have believed this? Darwinism is merely materialistic philosophy masquerading as science, and people are recognizing it for what it is there is a constant smear campaign against Wells, as there is toward any scientist who would dare call into question the Darwinism god. But facts are facts, and any truly objective mind that seriously looks into the evidence must conclude Darwinism is not the open and closed case that diehard evolutionists would like you to believe. And if empirical evidence is not on Darwin's side, this has serious implications for how we got here, and whether there is a purpose for our existence. You may be surprised at how many highly educated scientists are now coming out and saying they are Darwin skeptics. It's been more than 50 years since the cover of Time magazine famously asked, Is God Dead? Is it time that you, personally, ask yourself, Is Darwinism Dead? Stay tuned, because in a moment I'll show you why you should become a Darwin skeptic. Welcome to Tomorrow's World, where we know the truth will win out in the end. And welcome especially to all of you who are tuning in for the first time. Today I am asking whether evolution is a scientifically proven fact. What about you? Are you a Darwin devotee or a Darwin skeptic? If so, why? Perhaps you're among those who haven't given it much thought, accepting without proving either the creationism taught at your church or the Darwinism taught at your school. It's time to examine the evidence for yourself. Recent scientific discoveries are turning the science world upside down. Former evolutionists and atheists are losing their confidence in blind chance. On today's program, I'll give you four reasons to be a Darwin skeptic, so let's begin. Reason number one, you're not alone. Lee Strobel is a former atheist who firmly believed in evolution. He admits he looked down upon poor religious souls who were so ignorant that they rejected what he thought science proved long ago. But as an investigative journalist, he thoroughly researched the subject and wrote his findings in, The Case for a Creator. In this thoroughly researched treatise, he describes how 100 scientists from a variety of highly specialized disciplines of science, with PhDs from well-known and prestigious universities, reacted to a seven-part PBS series that asserted that all known scientific evidence supports evolution, as does virtually every reputable scientist in the world. In response, these credentialed scientists reacted by posting a two-page ad in a national magazine in which they wrote, We are skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Careful examination of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged. Who were these skeptics of Darwin? Were they high school biology or junior high astronomy teachers? Were they narrow-minded religious fanatics? Far from it. They were world-class scientists like Nobel nominee Henry F. Schaefer, the third most cited chemist in the world, James Tour, of Rice University's Center for Nanoscale Science and Technology, and Fred Figworth, professor of cellular and molecular physiology at Yale Graduate School. So the next time that know-it-all posts a put down on the internet ridiculing anyone who is a skeptic of Darwin, take heart. Men and women who know far more than these keyboard warriors have serious doubts, and many former atheists and evolutionists have come to outright reject Darwinism. Note this example from a December 9, 2004 ABC News report. A British philosophy professor who has been a leading champion of atheism for more than a half century has changed his mind. He now believes in God more or less based on scientific evidence, and says so on a video released Thursday. Flew left little doubt or room for misunderstanding when he outlined his new view in his book, There Is a God. I now believe that the universe was brought into existence by an infinite intelligence. I believe that this universe's intricate laws manifest what scientists have called the mind of God. I believe that life and reproduction originate in a divine source. So the first reason to be a Darwin skeptic is, you are not alone. You have some very smart, very famous, and well-credentialed company. But good company doesn't mean that you're right. There's plenty of company on the other side of the argument, so let's explore some of the actual evidence for evolution. But first, I'm pleased to offer you, for the first time, a new booklet on this subject Evolution and Creation What Both Sides Miss. As with all our literature, it's available free of charge. This resource shows not only where evolutionists have missed the mark, but also where many sincere, professing Christians have as well. Evolution and Creation, What Both Sides Miss is a must-have and it's yours free for the asking.
1: Let me tell you how you can get your free copy of Evolution and Creation, What Both Sides Miss. Just dial the number on your screen. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. There is no shortage of misinformation on this vital topic. This booklet cuts through the faulty reasoning used to support both evolution and young earth creationism, highlighting what the Bible really teaches about the origins of life. Don't wait. Call now or visit us online to get your free copy. If you missed our contact information, don't worry, I'll be back to give it again later.
0: In the previous portion of our program, I pointed out that you have very good company if you are a Darwin skeptic. Many famous scientists are with you. Good company is comforting, but why are so many former atheists becoming skeptics? Let's look at the empirical evidence. Reason number two, the fossil record does not support evolution. Science teachers and natural history documentaries convince millions that the fossil record proves evolution, but nothing can be further from the truth. The truth is the exact opposite, and evolutionary scientists must admit this if they are to maintain any credibility. The fossil record proves evolution did not happen. According to Darwin, evolution is a slow process that requires small mutations that occur over long periods of time. One evening I was watching a program put out by National Geographic with the title, Hippo vs. Croc and in the program it stated that hippos and crocodiles evolved from a common ancestor 55 million years ago. Nature programs are littered with similar comments, always stated as fact, with absolutely no real evidence to support such claims. Consider some of the obvious differences between a crocodile and a hippopotamus. The croc has scales and bony-like protrusions, the hippo has a thick hide, the croc has a long, powerful tail, the hippo has a short, wispy tail, the croc has a long head and mouth, the hippo has a head and mouth vastly different, the croc is a meat eater, the hippo is a vegetarian, the croc lays 40 to 50 eggs in the sand, the hippo is a mammal. Now these are some of the more obvious differences. There are hundreds of others, but they had 55 million years to make these changes. Now I'll admit that this is a very long time, but that very fact works against evolution and here's why. First, have you ever noticed that the beginning point is always described as a common ancestor? Evolutionists take offense when someone says man came from an ape. Instead they say that apes and man came from a common ancestor an ancestor only found in artists' imaginations, never in the fossil record. As with men and apes, so with crocs and hippos, the common ancestor is missing, but the far greater problem is that transitioning from an imaginary common ancestor to a hippo or a croc would require thousands of transitional forms. Why are these missing from the fossil record? The problem is not the missing link, It's the millions of missing links required of evolution. As Michael Denton writes, if our knowledge of biology was restricted to those species presently existing on Earth, we might wonder whether the doctrine of evolution would qualify as anything more than an outrageous hypothesis. Missing transitions plagued Darwin from the beginning. As Denton points out, but virtually all the new fossil species discovered since Darwin's time have either been closely related to known forms or, like the Poganophorus, strange unique types of unknown affinity. While the Speaker on National Geographic states with authority that crocs and hippos evolved 55 million years ago from a common ancestor, there is absolutely no proof to back this up, period. Period. Denton states the obvious to anyone who looks at the fossil record with an open mind. Without intermediates or transitional forms to bridge the enormous gaps which separate existing species and groups of organisms, the concept of evolution could never be taken seriously as a scientific hypothesis. In a moment, I'll give you two more reasons to be a Darwin skeptic, but I want to remind you of today's free offer. Evolution and Creation, What Both Sides Miss. This resource shows not only where evolutionists miss the mark, but also where many sincere, professing Christians have as well. If you have children or grandchildren, Evolution and Creation, What Both Sides Miss, is a must read and it's yours free for the asking. So pick up the phone and call, or visit our website to request your personal copy And I'll be back in 30 seconds to give you two more reasons to be a Darwin skeptic.
1: This booklet is yours for the asking. Just call the number on the screen and request Evolution and Creation, What Both Sides Miss. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Have you ever asked where is the world headed? Or what does the future hold for me? We answer these questions and more in our magazine, Tomorrow's World. It is also yours free of charge. So call us right now. We have operators ready to take your call, or you can order online. I hope you enjoy the rest of today's program.
0: Before the break, I gave you two reasons to be skeptical of Darwinian evolution. Before giving you two more, Let me clarify the difference between micro and macro evolution. We see new breeds of dogs over time as breeders emphasize certain genetic characteristics over others, until a new breed is created. These are not mutations as Darwin envisioned changes taking place. They are the result of genetic material already present. While a Great Dane and a Chihuahua are very different, no one disputes that they are dogs. They do not breed naturally for rather obvious reasons, but they are dogs nevertheless, and do come from a common ancestor. This is what we know as microevolution. Whether we speak of dogs, moths, or tulips, this kind of microevolution is a result of already existing genetic material, and it happens all the time. But Darwin took this one step further. He viewed this process and postulated that an animal could mutate into a totally different kind. One problem is, as we have seen, the fossil record shows zero evidence of this. Macroevolution also postulates that life sprang from non-living matter into a simple cell, that it somehow learned to feed and reproduce itself, that one cell became two, that these learn to combine cells into more complex organisms, and, well, you get the idea. Voila! You and me. Our third reason to be a Darwin skeptic is, life arising by chance is mathematically impossible. Most biology students are familiar with the Miller-Urey experiment. Stanley Miller and Harold C. Urey speculated that the Earth's early atmosphere might be composed of hydrogen, ammonia and methane. By a carefully crafted experiment in which they sent electrical charges through a mixture of these chemicals, they were able to produce amino acids. This 1953 experiment was hailed as proof of evolution, but was it? All reputable scientists recognized that there were huge problems with their research. The experiment was conducted under conditions unlike anything outside the laboratory. We now know the earth's atmosphere was not the same as the experiment, and amino acid is not life. All living creatures use only left-handed amino acids, unlike the mixture the experiment produced. Scientists cannot demonstrate or explain how a single protein is formed by chance, and the odds against a protein forming by chance are staggering. Just how staggering is brought out in Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything. No one really knows, but there may be as many as a million different types of protein in the human body, and each one is a little miracle. By all the laws of probability, Proteins shouldn't exist. Consider carefully. Bryson, a believer in evolution, refers to each of the million or so different kinds of proteins that make humans' living organisms as little miracles. Why? Proteins are made from amino acids connected in a manner that allows them to be folded into precise three-dimensional shapes. They can be compared to the letters in our alphabet. But instead of 26, there are only 20. Think of it this way a book may have a million different sentences, all different from the others. But each sentence is made up of letters and words that are placed in an order that makes sense. It's the same with proteins. To make collagen, you need to arrange 1,055 amino acids. And precisely the right sequence. But, and here's an obvious but crucial point, you don't make it. It makes itself spontaneously without direction, and this is where the unlikelihoods come in. The chances of a 1,055 sequence molecule like collagen spontaneously self assembling are, frankly, nil. It just isn't going to happen. Without taking the time to explain all the details, Bryson calculates the odds of our more typical 200 amino acid protein of self-assembling as 1 in 10 to the power of 260. That's a single chance and a 1 followed by 260 zeros, to which Bryson states, that in itself is a larger number than all the atoms in the universe. In other words, in his words, Each one is a little miracle. Can anyone give us an example of code, or shall we call it building instructions, that ever came into being without intelligence behind it? Why would anyone think that the most powerful code known to man would come into existence by chance? And DNA is only the beginning. Making a protein is complicated, and it requires the use of molecular machines, made from already existing proteins. You need proteins to make proteins. DNA can do nothing without machines made of proteins. And where did DNA come from? Who wrote this code? As Bryson explains, So we have a paradoxical situation. Proteins can't exist without DNA, and DNA has no purpose without proteins. Are we to assume then that they arose simultaneously with the purpose of supporting each other? If so, wow! Who is it now who believes in miracles and faith? Our third reason to be a Darwin skeptic is, life arising by chance is mathematically impossible. Our fourth and final reason, though we certainly could list more, is the not-so-simple cell. When confronted with a staggering gap between a few amino acids, such as those that were formed in the Miller-Urey laboratory, and that of the simplest cell, evolutionists have a standard answer. Instead of explaining how such a gap is bridged, which they cannot, they prefer to skip over it and reply, we're here, so it happened. We don't dispute that we are here what we dispute is how we got here. Those not familiar with recent discoveries have no idea how complicated life is. That simple cell that you've heard about? The fact is, there is no such thing as a simple cell. Michael Denton explains, The complexity of the simplest known type of cell is so great that it is impossible to accept that such an object could have been thrown together suddenly by some kind of freakish, vastly improbable event. Such an occurrence would be indistinguishable from a miracle. Few today understand just how complex life truly is, but as atheists and evolutionists with PhDs discover this truth, is it any wonder that many quietly admit that Darwinism is dying As Denton points out, although the tiniest bacterial cells are incredibly small, each is in effect a veritable micro-miniaturized factory containing thousands of exquisitely designed pieces of intricate molecular machinery, far more complicated than any machine built by man and absolutely without parallel in the non-living world. And that, dear friends, is no exaggeration. Earlier in the program, I quoted Anthony Flew, who at one time was considered by many to be the world's leading atheist. At the beginning of a debate held at New York University in 2004, Flew shocked the audience by announcing he now accepted the existence of God. He explains that it was the not so simple cell, its DNA in particular, that was a deciding factor in his change. Asked if recent work on the origin of life pointed to a divine creator, he answered, Yes, I now think it does, almost entirely because of the DNA investigations. What I think the DNA material has done is that it is shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements to work together. It's the enormous complexity of the number of elements and the enormous subtlety of the way they work together. The meeting of these two parts at the right time, by chance, is simply minute. It is all a matter of the enormous complexity by which the results were achieved which looked to me like the work of intelligence. Israel's King David was inspired to write, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. David may not have known what we now know, but he could see the evidence of creation everywhere, in every bird, butterfly, fish, and flower. The Apostle Paul declares that Darwin's promoters of creation without a creator have no excuse, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. As King David declared, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So is Darwinism dead? It should be. Now stay tuned after this program for tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. And be sure to come back next week when Stuart Wachowicz, Michael Haykoop, and I will bring you more important news you can use in the light of biblical truth. Until next time, may the peace and truth of Almighty God and Jesus Christ be with you. To learn more
1: about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. The first few chapters of Genesis contain a fascinating account of creation. One question arising from this account comes from the belief that God made light on day 1 of creation and the sun on day 4. Did God create light before the sun? When looking at the first few chapters of Genesis, the time frame is of utmost importance. Be sure to watch the Tomorrow's World telecast titled Why Creationists Are Wrong. This video explains that there was an original creation in verse 1 and then a recreation of the earth beginning in verse 3 after a cosmic battle left the world in ruins. Genesis 1 and verse 3 begins the telling of the first day of this recreation. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. The account goes on to describe an evening and morning as being the first day. It is hard to imagine evening and morning being discernible without a sun. In verse 2 we are told that the Spirit was hovering over the waters, the Hebrew term referring to water in its liquid state. This would require a heat source such as the sun or else the water would have been a block of ice. Let's read of the fourth day and note something important. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. The word made is translated from the Hebrew asa, which can also be translated as set or appointed. Compare this to the word used to describe God creating the animals, fish, birds and even man. That word is bara, which is often used to describe the creation of something new. It appears as though the creation account is written from the perspective of earth. Certainly, the reference to evenings and mornings to separate the various stages of creation would support this. It is very possible that the atmosphere was obscured enough that the difference between light and dark was clear, but the source of that light could not be seen from the surface of the earth. This is the likeliest of explanations. God had already created light on the fourth day. From the perspective of the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars were appointed as the source of that light was made clear. To submit a question for the show, email us at twanswers at tomorrowsworld.org. Be sure to watch us online at twcanada.org or by searching Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for living an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Write or visit us online today. This program is a
0: production of The Living Church of God.